welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everyone. We are on today with Andrew Bosworth of Facebook fame. And uh, Andrew was a Cutco rep in 2001, 2002, two summers while at Harvard, graduated from Harvard, worked at Microsoft for a while, and then uh, went over to Facebook. In the very early days of Facebook, he was the director of engineering, helped build and develop their engineering team. He invented Newsfeed. Now he's a vice president of AR and VR at Facebook and uh, truly one of Mark Zuckerberg's inner circle within the company. So Boz, I know uh, you've got lots of demands on your time. I highly appreciate you taking a little bit of time here today uh, to uh, share some stuff with our audience. Thanks. Yeah, glad to be here, Dan. Always happy to connect with the community. Yeah, fantastic. Well, you know, let's just dive right in. And I'd like to hear a little bit about what you're doing at Facebook as the director of AR and VR. It's augmented reality, virtual reality, right? I'm curious to hear a little bit about some of the responsibilities you have and what's happening there. Yeah, this has been a, a last two years I've been working on on this, and it's a completely novel area for me personally. Previously, having really only been doing software, now working on both software and hardware, um, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality are so new. A lot of it is pioneering research, you know, at the at the physics level. Um, you know, can you get light to bend in certain ways or to follow certain paths? Um, and so, it's, it, even though I'm still at Facebook and I've been at Facebook a long time really a totally novel pursuit for me. And frankly, even for my colleagues who have been in the space of hardware, the work we're doing is entirely novel. You know, it's not that often that you get to look at a completely new computing platform. You know, you go all the way back to uh, MIT and Stanford and Xerox Park, who really pioneered what we would consider the modern computer. Um, you know, the, the input modalities, um, the, the graphical interfaces, those date back to the 50s and 60s, even though they didn't hit the mainstream until the 80s and 90s. Um, and even the mobile phones we carry with us are fundamentally operating in the same paradigm. And what we see with um, 3D computing, spatial computing, it's called, with virtual reality, with augmented reality, is a completely different computing paradigm. It's different inputs. Suddenly your hands uh, become potentially operative parts of the operating system. Um, suddenly, you know, voice plays a much bigger role in terms of how, because you want to have this computing with you all the time. It's wearable, all-day wearable computing. Um, and so it's very, very exciting to be, instead of, of working on top of existing platforms that are well understood, to be rethinking what a new generation of platforms could look like. Oh, that's neat. How many people are on your team? Oh, I don't think we, several thousand. Uh, it's a big group in, and we're, we're invested, uh, you know, for the long term. So, you know, we're doing everything from, uh, like I said, some pioneering research, 
um, all the way to products that we have in market today. You know, you can go out, you can get um, uh, an Oculus Rift or an Oculus Quest. You can go out, you can get a portal for your home, which has a lot of augmented reality technology built into the smart camera. Uh, you can use Facebook or Instagram and they have the, the Spark uh, AR camera platform that we've built. Um, so we've got everything from shipping software um, that's going that's a going concern right now for hundreds of millions of people uh, down to technology that may not hit for a decade or more. Wow, that sounds like it's a cool day-to-day role that you have and certainly different from what you were doing in the past. Yeah, I'm never bored. You know, I, I've always enjoyed being at Facebook. I've, I've had the good opportunity to grow with the company and to try different roles and to do different things over, over the many years. Uh, this is the most different thing I've tried yet. And uh, it's yeah, never a dull moment. Yeah. What's it like working with Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg? I'm curious about your experiences working directly with those two. Uh, you know, they're both friends and colleagues, and I feel very lucky to have gotten to work with them. Uh, it's, I think, pretty rare, I suppose, when you read about somebody who's a talented executive that they live up to the promise. I really believe both of them do. Mark is, you know, a true product visionary. He has a, a strong opinion about how dedicated we have to be to the people we serve, to the consumers who, who come to rely on our products to connect with friends and family and, and their communities. And when he sees changes, he's very transparent about, hey, the, the world has changed or we've got to change our approach. That was true with the shift to mobile. We're seeing it again this year uh, with the shift towards uh, you know more private networks. And I think there's a tremendous uh, value in, in somebody who is really willing to revisit their core assumptions every day. You know, I think Mark is somebody who every day is willing to be challenged. He invites challenge, he invites people to disagree with him um, so that he can kind of grow through that. Uh, and Cheryl's been a tremendous coach for me personally. You know, in quite a few times when I'd hit uh, what felt like plateaus in my career, uh, where it was a struggle to build the right partnerships or the right collaborations or to lead through a challenging event, uh, Cheryl has had it three or four times has really been the, the key person to pull me aside and from her own experience, kind of share what she'd faced that was similar and, and how she got through it and uh, was you know quick with a reference to somebody else who could coach me, or quick with a book that would help me through it. So, yeah, I just feel really lucky. Like I said, you know, really just two tremendous leaders that uh, I've had the good pleasure to learn from. And I like that uh, you said that Mark invites challenge and invites disagreement. I think that's a paradigm that enables faster growth and it just brings in the strengths of more people in the organization. You know, we give leadership roles in Vector and Cutco to people who are, you know, 20 years old. And a lot of times a young manager makes the mistake of feeling like they have to have all the answers and they have to be like this, you know, facade of a strong leader. When in reality, I think that inviting disagreement, inviting challenge, inviting feedback from so many others is a great strength. It's interesting that you've been able to observe that in, uh, you know, one of the foremost business leaders in the world. Yeah, I think demonstrating a vulnerability and a humanity uh, is tremendously important for not just, like you said, learning and growing because you're getting the most intellectual capacity from everyone around you, but also it draws a, a tighter community. You know, people feel safe, they feel like they're valued, and that's so important. And you look at the longevity of people who worked with Mark. I mean, people stay for long periods of time working with Mark because you you do feel feel respected. You feel uh, you know that he values you and as much as you value him. And I think it's a real talent. One of the cornerstones, the kind of tricky things that very few people outside of the company think about as much as we do is um, we have had tremendous uh, longevity 
uh, on average relative to, let's say, our peers in, in the tech industry. That's very interesting. I was just reading about the value of psychological safety in the workplace. And uh, it seems like through Mark's leadership, you've developed that there at Facebook. And that's great. I'd like to ask you a little bit more about Cheryl. One of my focus areas is helping to develop more women leaders within our company. And you know, Cheryl is obviously like a cult hero among women in business. And I'd love for you to kind of break down what you see as a few of her key strengths that you've noticed. All right, listen, one of the biggest things that Cheryl does is she makes it a topic of conversation. You know, you look at Lean In and it became a national topic of conversation that I think every manager that I knew of was now thinking about as an active going concern. Um, and it's so easy for us not to talk about diversity and inclusion. Uh, it's easy to go about your business and kind of, and just the act of bringing it to consciousness, bringing it to the forefront of the discussion is such a critical part of making progress. And then of course, Cheryl is a tremendous champion internally, not just a champion for women, but a champion for everyone being involved, men and women being involved uh, in the process of, of building up diversity and inclusion to be what we think it should be um, and holding ourselves to a high standard. You know, the, the, the data is not good. The data on CEOs, the data on representation in government, the data on representation on boards of directors is not good. Um, but you start talking about it, you make it a, a conscious effort, uh, and then it becomes a platform where improvement is possible. Yeah, that's uh, interesting to hear that obviously she does that. What do you feel is like her greatest strength as a leader? You know, I think even Cheryl would say, when it comes to running things well, there is nobody better than Cheryl. I mean, you, you, uh, one of my favorite little funny stories, we were at a little event um, that she was hosting at her house. Uh, and it was like a catered event and so catering it set it up. And I swear to you, Cheryl was in conversations and talking to folks and she disappeared for like 15 minutes. We couldn't figure out where she went. She had rebuilt the line, the catering line. Because she <laughs> She saw that guests were lined up waiting for food and she saw that if she changed the order of the food, she could resolve it. And <laughs> went and fixed the, and, you know, so that, I'm telling, there's actually two parts to that story. One of which is she knows how to operate. The second thing is, you know, Cheryl doesn't see a problem. One of her favorite sayings at Facebook is nothing at Facebook is someone else's problem. Cheryl is somebody who, if she saw a catering line out of place at Facebook, she would go fix that catering line. You know, she does not believe that anything that she sees that's not up to standards should just be left to sit and, you know, action has to be taken. So really just a tremendous amount of energy and thoughtfulness that she puts into everything that she does. It's honestly, it's a wonder to behold uh, the energy and the effort that she's able to put into everything that she does. I bet that that carries over in her personal life as well. And that, uh, you know, she quickly addresses anything that she wants to work on and improve and just areas for herself to grow. Uh, you know, I think, you and I probably both agree, Dan, you don't get to be as good as that without a, a really strong focus on self-improvement. But I can say, you know, on the personal life thing, it's funny, uh, you know, Cheryl's famous for, for writing thank you notes, you know, with, with people that she meets on a daily basis. Um, I tore my Achilles tendon recently and it was uh, two days later, I had uh, eight quarts of matzo ball soup and black and white cookies from Katz's Delicatessen in New York from courtesy of Cheryl. <laughs> uh, you know, she doesn't half-ass it. You know, if you're part of the sphere that she's decided that she's going to invest in and care for, you really feel that. That's awesome. I got to go to her house one time. I don't know if I mentioned this to you. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been inside her house as well once for uh, the book launch for Phil oh, Helmuth. Cool. Yeah, of course. His memoir. So that was cool. Well, I'd like to hear about your Cutco experience, Boz. I think people would love to hear what you remember from that and the lessons. So it was summer of 2001. 
And uh, do you remember about how you got started and some of your early experiences? Yeah, I do. I, I really enjoyed the work. I, you know, I think uh, I found a pretty good amount of success with it, but you know, as well as I do a lot of that, it's the region that you're working in and the team that you're working with. And I, I was lucky because I had you uh, and uh, man, Chris and uh, we had a good team of senior people uh, who put a good education program together. Uh, what I found most fascinating, I've, I've told a lot of people this actually, was, you know, in a, in a, a sales job, you just couldn't believe how much the correlation, the one-to-one correlation between your internal attitude and your external results was. It was just uncanny. If I was having a bad day or if I was down, sales were down. And if I was upbeat and I felt good, sales were up. And I'm being very clear, the causality to me was so clear uh, that it was attitude towards outcomes and not the other way around. And I, I've always reflected on that because it's so tempting to think, oh, I had a bad outcome. That's why my attitude is bad. And the Cutco job really taught me that's not, strictly speaking, the case. You know, you control a lot more with the attitude. And that was something I've always taken with me. What a great lesson. I can actually remember you when you were brand new because one of the things that we do is typically when we run a training class, we have someone from the previous week's training class come in and do a demo for the training class. And, you know, the objective is the trainees see somebody do a demo. They're usually reading from their manual and stumbling along a little bit. It's not perfect. But then at the end, the training class realizes, oh, this person's only been working for a few days and they've already sold, you know, two, three, four thousand dollars and they get a lot of confidence, right? Well, when you did the demo for the training class the week after you, you were so good (laughs) and you were so dynamic and so enthusiastic and... I feel like you blew people away. And I think that there was like drop off from the first day to the second day. It backfired on you. They didn't think they could do what you did, you know, because you're so dynamic. But I guess you'd had a lot of leadership practice and training through football and other things in high school. And 4-H, yeah, I was a big time 4-H'er. So public speaking was, I was very comfortable with public speaking and and spending time in front of an audience. Yeah. Yeah. And then I know uh, you were a college All-American with Cutco your first summer. Uh, one of the top reps in the country in sales among all college students. And then the following summer, you were an assistant manager in the summer of 2002. I do recall that. Any other lessons that stand out from your rep or management experience? Well, the AM thing was cool too. I, you know, we weren't, you know how it is. We're not directly managing people. Obviously, everyone's a kind of an independent force. But it was a, that was a, a, the weekly meetings, the regular connection that you're trying to build with people. Um, and it was a, kind of a form of the same story where the more you invested in people and, and tried to help them achieve their results, um, the more you achieved your results. And, and I was, a, you know, that's still true. That's my job today. That, that, that hasn't changed in, in all the time. Um, and that's my job, even for people who don't report to me. Uh, I always think about this. If there's another group um, at, at Facebook or if there's another company out there that I want to partner with, and I, I, you know, I kind of hope that maybe they can do something for me. The first thing I asked myself was, what can I do for them? Like, hey, how can I invest in this relationship um, and build that kind of mutual goodwill that then yields for both parties? Um, and I, being an AM was was that job, you know, 24-7. You know, somebody was having a downtime, you, you call them up, give them a pick-me-up, get them to a sandwich, get them somewhere, get them, get them into a, a better mental state. They were going to be happier. You were going to be happier. Um, so I've always felt that was a good experience for me. Yeah. That's great. Thanks, Boz, for sharing that. So... After your two summers, you were back at Harvard, you graduated from Harvard, you got hired at Microsoft, moved to Seattle for a while. 
And you were liking Microsoft, but then uh, as I understand it, you got a fateful phone call from uh, some old friends. And can you tell us about just how that went down and the process of moving from Microsoft to the Facebook? I mean, I think it's a story that it will resonate with people. Uh, you know, for all the accomplishments that I you know, may have thought I'd had built up to that point in my life, Really, uh, the, the thing that ended up being pivotal in me joining Facebook was random chance. I had been randomly assigned to be Mark Zuckerberg's uh, teaching assistant in uh, the Introduction to Artificial Intelligence course at Harvard. Um, so he was randomly put into my class. And two years later, um, he's in Palo Alto, and a recruiter says, he says, hey, I need someone who's good at AI. And the recruiter says, do you know anyone? He's like, well, I know this one guy who taught me AI in college. And he's like, well, let's call him up. Um, and so the, you know, and it was, you know, Mark was a student of mine, but I did invest a lot of time and energy into those. That was, that was the job I had during the, the school year. I did invest a lot of time in those relationships with the students that I was mentoring. Uh, Mark had, uh, done a face mash the, uh, before, um, Facebook, uh, at Harvard. And I talked to him about it and I told him face mash was a very bad idea and he should probably take it down. Uh, which I was about. Uh, and, and, and likewise, and he was building Facebook while he was a student in my class. So, you know, one of those things where, hey, I got the degree and I got all the education. It was actually the investment I put into people that paid off. Now you had to be at Harvard. So I'm not saying there's no, no energy there, but I just think it was the investment I put into people that paid off. And then one of my favorite parts of the story, and I think it's a, a management lesson that I, I've always had to take with me, um, speaking again about relationships was, when I came down to interview at Facebook, I actually didn't expect to join because I, I wasn't taking it very seriously, but my family's in the Bay Area. So I thought, hey, take a free trip, see some old college classmates, see my family. Instead, was totally blown away by Mark and the vision he had here and the team he was putting together. And so I went back to Seattle, but you're right, Dan, I was very happy with my job at Microsoft and they were taking very good care of me and I was on a fast track there. And my boss in particular had been a great mentor to me the, the year and a half that I'd been there. So I was real conflicted. And so I went to my boss and I said, hey, I told him, hey, you know, I got to tell you, I, I interviewed this place, startup with my with some buddies of mine, and I'm kind of tempted to do it. And he's like, hey, close the door. So we close the door. So we're alone. He says, you got to go. And I was like, what? He's like, you got to go. He's like, this, you're young. You've got the, the time to take the risks is right now. You're going to learn so much. And even if it fails, you're going to come back here and you won't have lost a step. You know, we'll bring you back in. And you'll have, we'll pay you for the experience of the time that you were away. He's like, it is so good for you to take opportunities like this right now. And well, suffice it to say, I, I took him up on that, that and I've bought him a lot of steak dinners since then. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Craig, Craig Daw. But it was such a beautiful moment because he was somebody who was my manager. He had a job to do, but he was invested first and foremost in me. And I try to do that for my people. When, when people come to me to this day and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing something different. I walk it through with them. And if I think that is what makes sense, that's what I tell them. You know, I, I tell them right in front. I said, my job here is not to tell you to stay. I want you to go and be happy and successful. Let's figure out together what that what that's going to look like. And uh, modeled after uh, my good buddy, Craig Daw. Wow. I think that's such a great story of a leader acting in truly the best interest of their people. And this is something that we really try to teach to people in Vector and Cutco is that obviously we like to retain people longer than just a summer or two summers, but we realize like that's not going to happen. Most people are going to take the Vector and Cutco training and they're going to move on to other things. But for some people, you know, this is the right path. And I think a good manager helps people kind of sort through that and choose what's best for them. There's a phrase I use called a gas. 
about management, which is actually give a shit. <laughs> it's like the people that actually give a shit about their people, people can tell. And you were lucky to be around somebody that had that approach and made that opportunity for you to move to Facebook easy. And obviously the rest is history and a lot of amazing things have happened. So that's cool. Um, one of the things that I have noticed in following you on social media, on Facebook, is that you seem to have an amazing passion for photography. Yeah. And you're posting photographs from all over the world. I keep telling you, you should put together a book of all your photographs because I'd yeah. buy it. Um, but uh, where did this evolve? And you know, what's up with this? You know, I think this is one of those pieces that's been really fascinating is uh, as I transitioned from being an engineer who spent my day coding and building things uh, into more of a manager, I really felt a sense of loss for that creation, um, for uh, that sense of connection I had to the tools and to the, the work itself. And a buddy of mine actually said, hey, you know, you got to channel that someplace else. Like, there's lots of ways you can do that. You don't have to be coding all day for a living to, to create. Um, and so I came across photography initially and, and now I do a lot of writing as well. Um, and it is really the case for me, if I go a week and I haven't created something new, a, a picture, a piece of writing, something that I feel like didn't exist and it, I brought into existence, I feel like a little bit like I haven't fulfilled my potential uh, for what I want to do. Uh, Cause I do think it's the right thing for me um, in terms of what I'm best at and what I can do to have the biggest impact in the world to work through people, to manage through people and through others and support them. And I love it and I am passionate about it and it is very fulfilling to me at a deep level, but it's not everything. And so for me, photography and writing are uh, me unleashing my own individual creative force into the world. And it's not even about whether anyone sees it or whether they like it. It's about me having created something. And I have to give this advice all the time. I'm amazed how often I meet people who, you know, they, were, they used to be in sales jobs. They used to be meeting with clients and now they're not meeting with clients. People who are in marketing jobs and they used to be trafficking the ads and now they're not. And they just, there's a sense of loss that comes with a transition where you're now working indirectly. You're not working through other people. Um, and they got, you got to channel that somewhere. You got to channel your own energy into, into something. Uh, and that's what I chose to do. That's great. And where can people find your work if they want to <laughs> follow your writing or your yeah. photography? Well, the easiest way to follow my writing is boz.com. And I apologize in advance to literally everyone who heard this. But yes, boz.com is my blog. <laughs> Still hyping the blog. Child uh, of the 90s. Can't stop me. Um, and then, yeah, Instagram, Boz Tank. I, I put some photos up on, on Instagram from time to time. Uh, you know, I've been lucky. My wife and I both love to travel. And uh, before we had kids, we really got out and traveled quite a bit. Um, and uh, it's something that I look forward to getting back to when my kids are a little older and hopefully bring them with me. That's great. What are you most proud of? in your work or in your life, boss? Man, I always shy away from this question. You know, I'm, I played uh, sports all through kind of high school and college. And I, I always met these folks who really, for them, that was the highlight. You know, that was what they were most proud of was, was that time they spent. And I've always wanted the thing I'm most proud of to be ahead of me. I've always, I've always, I've always wanted it to be on the horizon and not behind me. And I also try not to, I don't like to value judge too much the things I've done in the past. I, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, newsfeed is probably the thing that I've done that's had the, the biggest purchase in terms of what people know or things, you know, messenger and groups are up there, but I care about those things. But at the same time, you know, building a, a business was extremely satisfying. The teams of people that I've gotten to work with, the individual coaching that I've been able to do, my personal growth means a lot to me. And it's something I continue to take pride in and, and try to invest more time in. If I try to start value judging between those things, I'm worried I'll tip the scales a little bit 
towards the future. So hopefully the thing I'm proud of most hasn't happened yet. And uh, that's what we're trying to do here in AR and VR at Facebook. Yeah, well, as you look into the future, you know, five, 10 years down the road, what are you most excited about? I do think we're on the verge of something very exciting in terms of technology. Uh, Mobile phones really were amazing. If you think of the superpowers that we have with mobile phones that we didn't have before. You know, I was joking with a buddy the other day, you know, bar bets are dead. You don't have to, you don't have to get in an argument with anybody about random minutia anymore. You just look it up. Um, (laughs) um, The ability to, to contact any loved one you want kind of in real time, if you need to, is, is just a tremendous step forward for what we're able to do as a species in terms of trying to connect with people. But it is also a phenomenally limiting device. You know, it, it has all these trade-offs that it makes between the attention that you're putting on the device versus the attention you're giving to people who are physically with you. Um, and I think as we move into uh, augmented reality, greater human augmentation, you get a lot of those same superpowers around information and connectivity you actually add in even more superpowers, literal like physical ones where, you know, you can hear better and you can see better. Um, and it doesn't have to come at the expense of so much of the in-person interaction that is the lifeblood, I think, of humans feeling meaningful, meaningfully connected to one another. Um, so I'm, I, like, as a technologist, I am very excited about where technology is going. I think it's easy in the modern day and age to be a skeptic and to be negative because, you know, we haven't grappled with uh, the internet fully yet. We haven't grappled with all the things yet. I believe those problems can be solved. And I think we're all better off being more connected. Definitely. Definitely. It's great to hear, Boz. You know, the audience here, there's going to be some people who are Cutco alumni or outside of Cutco. But there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who are young Cutco reps or young Cutco managers. and are there any of the messages you feel like you'd want to share to some young up-and-coming leaders to be able to achieve a lot of the same goals and same success in life that you and others have achieved? Yeah, I mean, I have really two pieces of advice that I've followed that have guided me pretty well. You know, first one was, I think it's really easy to be cynical. I think it's really easy to be sarcastic. Uh, and I consider these really destructive because sarcasm is just a form of kind of negativity without any positive aspect without any taking a positive stance, without any remediation. Um, and so simple things within the Cutco framework, for example, the vector framework is if you're doing the weekly meetings, they're hype up meetings. And let's be honest, Dan, they can be a little cheesy. You know, they can be a little gimmicky at times and it's easy to sit back and you, you're we're almost trained this way. And I think in, in middle school and in high school to sit back and be the cool kid who like isn't participating and there's nothing wrong with it. But what's interesting is if you choose not to do that and you say, hey, you know what? I know this is cheesy, but I'm just going to be hype. Like, I'm just going to go for it and be a part of it. Um, you actually at least create the opportunity to learn something. You create the opportunity to grow and better yourself. And uh, I think of this all the time. I, you know, when you're an older, more experienced manager like me, the new form of this is they take you to offsites. You know, you go to an offsite with your leadership team or you go to an offsite with your peers and you're having a day together and some of it's work and you're thinking through ideas and strategies and some of it's fun and you're, you're having a, an evening together. And it, it really strikes me as the same thing. It's, it would be easy to, to kind of sit back and, and let it all happen and let the, let the executives all talk about stuff. But, you know, you're just denying yourself the opportunity when you do that. So I, I do think just choosing to participate when you have the choice not to, choosing to actually participate and try to get something out of it is, is one of the important pieces for me. And the second thing is, in my career, what I've done is I've optimized for the steep learning curve. You know, if you look at it, it wasn't a linear career. I think sometimes people want linear growth. They want 
to never take a step backwards in their career. They want to never take a step sideways. They want every single step to go up and to the right. And that's not really how I built my career. I was kind of joke. My career was more like uh, Daniel and, and Mr. Miyagi. I spent a lot of time waxing cars and I spent a lot of time painting fences. And then at the end of it, people were like, hey, how are you karate master? It's like, well, yeah, you didn't want to wax the cars and you didn't want to paint the fences. You know, they want to wax the cars and then grow up the chain. Well, great. Now you're in the car. That's all you can do, you know, or they wanted to paint the fence. They just wanted to, now that's all you can do. I was willing to take lateral moves or even downward steps to learn more. And what I tried to get on was the steepest learning curve. So I always felt like I was growing at the fastest rate. And, you know, kind of like through the wonders of compound interest, that gets you pretty far over a long career. Uh, whereas maybe I could have gotten farther in one three or six month period by just doing more of what I was already good at, but that wasn't going to grow me the most over the long term. Great insight. Great insight, Boz. That's uh, very valuable. And I appreciate you sharing that uh, with the audience. Thanks, man. Thanks. You know, we've got a lot of really cool alumni out there in the world that sold Cutco for a while. People that are changing lives and in many different ways, you know, authors that have sold millions of books and entrepreneurs that are running big companies. But you're the guy that's changed a billion lives <laughs> through what you've developed with Facebook. And uh, we're very proud to count you as an alumni of Cutco Vector. I found you to be extremely intelligent, which everybody can tell. But I've also found you to be a compassionate person and somebody who is extremely inspiring uh, that I just like to be around. So I just want to acknowledge you for all that, Boz. And I want to thank you again for taking the time to be with us here today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure. Yes, everyone. That was Andrew Bosworth of Facebook. He talked about investing in relationships and how when we invest in people, when we help their results, it helps our results. A great principle of leadership and management. He talked about having a steep learning curve in your life and the importance of ongoing development. And I know that you know when that guy was a Cutco rep and I was there talking about Jim Rohn or Tony Robbins or anything along those lines, he was eating that stuff up, always taking notes, absorbing like a sponge and learning. And it's clear that he's carried that on with him into his professional life. And I really love where he talked about how the outer is a mirror of the inner. Our outer results are often a mirror of our inner feelings, our inner attitudes, our inner beliefs. Great stuff from a guy who in a business context, one of the most successful people that uh, any of us have ever met. Also some really cool insights about Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg in there. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.